0: On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host the Director of Field Operations of the Charlotte Knights, Mr. Matt Parrott. This episode, we dive into everything that has to do with one of the most incredible ballparks in minor league baseball at one of the highest levels of minor league baseball. We discuss how Charlotte has become such an up and coming city with the development of new infrastructure, including skyscrapers, that have made it difficult to manage the field. And we really get into different things like micro-environments, microclimates, where we have different areas of his field that he has discussed how management practices have had to change because of these new additions to the city. And Mr. Parrott dives into everything that has come into his job when he started in Charlotte and how... They hosted the first ACC tournament in Charlotte, and they're actually going to be hosting it next year, hopefully, Um, but we'll see. Either way, they discussed the level of traffic and how the management of the field from having a homestand, going into a tournament where he had 15 games in seven days, and then having a 12-game homestand directly after that. Um, has its challenges, but through the perseverance and leadership of him and his staff, they did a phenomenal job and the field played perfectly. Um, it truly is an inspiring episode uh, where we discuss so many different things from uh, not just the field management side of things, but the overall outlook of our industry and how what the future holds for uh, students like ours and Things that we can be doing to better our industry as a whole. Uh, we can't thank Mr. Barrett enough. Uh, we all had a blast, and we really hope to see him down in Savannah this year at STMA. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good evening, and welcome to the 58th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host Drew Miller with our co-host Sam Rui. Um Today we have on a very special guest. We have the director of field operations of the Charlotte Knights, Mr. Matt Parrott. How are you doing this evening?
1: I'm doing great. How are you guys doing?
0: Oh, you know, just another day in paradise, right? It's getting a little bit cooler, which is good. You know, that's always nice, um, winding down and everything. Um, so with everything, uh, we obviously have been trying to get on for a while, and minor yeah. league baseball is its own animal, you know. And I, I, I can't understand the job you guys do because it's incredible um how's your season how's everything you had an acc tournament thrown in everything uh into the minor league schedule which i'm sure is a huge monkey wrench into a normal uh year when it comes to uh, a facility like yours um did you sort of just discuss how your year went and being at the end sort of what that has been like for you
1: yeah uh absolutely i mean first thanks for having me on um as you said, it has taken a while for us to link up um, before, you know, kind of when we were talking with this, before we started this, a lot of that was my doing just, you know, as a precursor. No worries. Your, no worries. To your, to your question. But yeah, so we um, we finished our season. I think we finished our home portion of our schedule September 26th, um, the minor league season this year uh, did not really mirror what it has in the past, just from a start date and a finish date and kind of the structure of, uh, homestands and road trips and, um, stuff like that. So a lot of us just kind of went into it blind, um, this year, it was, it was very different, um, than any of my previous years, um, in professional baseball. Uh, but I mean, you know, with that being said, we, we are winding down, uh, getting cooler here and uh overseeded at the end of last week and so not a whole lot going on in the field right now uh so to speak but just kind of decompressing from the year that was um as I said it, it, it was much different from just the way that the schedule looked um when we started when we finished um you know staffing uh A lot of the protocols that we had to adhere to, um, being that we were in what was considered a restricted area, uh, being on the field and in proximity to players, um, there were some some pretty stringent, uh, protocols that we had to adhere to as a crew. Um, yeah. So ready, (laughs) ready to take a deep breath, still taking that deep breath, so to speak.
0: Much, much deserved. Absolutely. It's crazy. Um, With that, again, the protocols and everything, because you guys, I think it was probably around the first month of your season. That was when we really were still in the COVID protocol phase of all of this. And I'm not saying it's gone. Please, people don't attack me. I'm sorry. COVID is still very much a real thing. But the scaling back because the vaccines were coming out, what was that sort of like, again, during the heart of that season, being able to sort of see some bit of normalcy come back to what, again, has been your career um, when it comes to minor league baseball?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was great to see, um, you know, on, on many different levels. I mean, it was great to see the response um, from fans. I mean, I think anybody would be would – be, uh, I hesitate to use the word lying to you, but would, would if, if they knew what it was going to look like when we opened our gates um, – they were probably the only ones that did because there there were a lot of there were a lot of unknowns. There were a lot of would would uh, the fans come back into the ballpark? Would how would things look when they did come back into the ballpark? And you know that for us in Charlotte, that changed a couple times throughout the year. To be quite honest with you, from from a public perspective, um, we. don't hold me to this because a lot did happen, but I, you know, I think that when, when we started our, our minor league season this year, uh, we were under some capacity restrictions. Um, there were certain areas of the ballpark that fans had to remain masked. certain areas of the ballpark that they didn't have to have to be in mask. Um, we were practicing social distancing. Um, and then we slowly kind of started seeing some of those things change. um, we had to put uh, – as an organization had to put, you know, a, a protocol plan, so to speak, together for Major League Baseball. Um, we had to do that for our local health department. Uh, and then we had to, you know, obviously meet uh, the state and any federal federal requirements. But um, we did see it start to open up. Um, one big jump for us was actually right before um, the ACC tournament in terms of capacity – Uh, limits going up and um, spaces that we were able to utilize in the ballpark that we hadn't been able to utilize up until that point in our minor league season. And and then from there, it just went um, pretty wide open. Um, But then, you know, we saw the, saw the spike and saw the Delta variant and so forth and so on. So we did not encounter any more capacity restrictions here in Charlotte, but, we did have interior spaces that had to go back to to being masked when you were indoors and and we're we're still under that um in in, in our locale uh in North Carolina that, that we're in. But uh yeah, it was just I mean it was it was it was definitely crazy, especially from a public perspective. But like for the grounds crew, for myself and my crew, um we were we were basically masked all year. Um, we were, we had to be masked on the field. Um, and when players and staff were, were out on the field, we were, we had to be masked at all times. Um, and then obviously like in the mornings, if we were here and, and, and they weren't out, um, and we were able to distance and, you know, be out in the middle of a two acre plot. Um, we, we, we did not have to mask, but, yeah, yeah, it was just. I mean, it looked different from from every angle, every angle. My head's still spinning from it. So
0: absolutely, and I, the, I love the wide open because it was the same concept up here. Uh, we, I think it was like the week before graduation. So again, sort of that time frame when the ACC tournament is. There were tickets that you had to have in order to go to the graduation ceremony. Each student had like six tickets, and that was it. And like the Monday before the Friday, which was graduation, they were like, "Hey, guess what?" No more tickets. Everybody can come. Nobody has to wear a mask. It was like, how do you Done. jump from here to everything's open? You know, kind of thing. But yeah. hey, we were grateful, you know. Um, and again, with everything, couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, you probably have one of the most well-known ballparks in minor league baseball. Uh, many people because of that backdrop. But again, for a sports turf manager you have done a phenomenal job for the years you've been in Charlotte and the practices that you've done, uh, have allowed you to have that sort of, again, phenomenal field in front of that backdrop. Could you sort of discuss some of the different things that you've, uh, incorporated into your, uh, cultural plans when it comes to, again, managing such a high traffic field, especially this past year with the tournament in the middle of everything, you know, you still have 80 games on a field like that. It's, it's always in use. What are you doing to sort of, again, keep that uh, aesthetic, but again, safe playing surface for the players throughout the season from when it starts to the end?
1: Yeah, it, so it's kind of a loaded question, but I, I would be remiss Sorry. if I didn't say, <laughs> I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I've been very fortunate um, for my entire career, um, to be honest with you, to work for – teams and for management groups that saw and see um, the real value of, of how the field and the playing surface fits into the business as a whole. Um, so I, I've gotten fantastic support um, from management ownership. Um, you know, I say both places that I've been. I, I've been two places for the bulk of my career. One was uh, Bowie, Maryland with which is double A for the Baltimore (laughs) Orioles. I was there for, I think, 13 or 14 years. And um, that kind of taught me, I mean, that was obviously a much smaller operation than what we have here, but it was so valuable because from an an event load, we ran far more events through that facility than we run through this facility. But at the same time, it just kind of, it really made me, from an early start, of my career um, appreciate like how how I managed my time, how I budgeted, and you know it it, it forced me to get creative, so to speak, um, in terms of uh, implementation of cultural practices, um, how to utilize staff, all those sorts of things. And then when I when I got to Charlotte, um, I'm not I'm not great with dates, but I think. I think 2016 was my first year in Charlotte. The ballpark was was still new. I mean, it was two or three years old at the time. And um, but I had no history of the ballpark. I, I didn't know <clears throat> I didn't know what had and hadn't been done the first couple of years. I started here two weeks before our first game. And so it was that first year was just more than anything, it was trust in your gut and going and getting it, doing what you had always done and kind of, you know, throwing gum and see what, see what stuck. But as time's gone on, um, to answer your question, I would say that, you know, leading up to COVID, excuse me, we, I I put a huge emphasis on just sound Mm -hmm. cultural practices, sound Mm -hmm. agronomics. Um, I, I hesitate to say keeping it simple because I think that's, simple as different things to different people. Um, to some people it's, you know, throwing 10, 10, 10 to some people, it's putting 10 different things in a spray tank, but you have to keep it simple for yourself. Um, what you're comfortable with, comfortable with what, you know, um, and, and what you see results out of If something doesn't work, then having the eye to say, Hey, that didn't work. We need to, we need to change some things up. But, um, I was fortunate that my, the bulk of my career had been spent, Uh, at the northern end of the transition zone on Bermuda grass and uh, one of my former assistants in Bowie had moved to North Carolina and was working at a university here and when I got here he said Matt you'll never find a place that's easier to grow grass and I don't I don't know if that's true but (laughs) growing Bermuda grass in Charlotte North Carolina is a heck of a lot easier than it is um, in than it Bowie. was in Bowie, Bowie Barrow. Yeah. yeah. And so...
0: I'll say San you know, Diego. San Diego, there yeah. get no rain and it's 75 all year long. Okay, yeah.
1: that's, Well, it depends where you are in San Diego because you got, you know, but yeah. you got a bunch of microclimates out there and, and we get them here too. But nonetheless, to answer your question, I mean, I, my biggest focus is is on airification, uh, verticutting, um, mowing heights that promote um, response at the times you need response out of your turf stand, Um, top dressing as frequently as possible. And I don't mean going and dumping truckloads of sand on it, but uh, historically we've, we've maintained a light top dressing program very regularly through our, through our playing season um, to help protect the crown. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of brooming just you know, we probably put a lot of focus on grass when most of the game is played on dirt. But you know, aesthetics does play a part um, in what we do, and people do come out to see 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 the prettiness of it. So, dirt. I mean, when the team's in town, we spend a lot of time on dirt. When the team's on the road, we spend a lot of time on grass. That's kind of the best way that I can –
2: Kind of describe the course of the season. So, just talking about the practices you do. Uh, what cultivar of Bermuda grass are you working with, and has that changed at all during your time there?
1: Uh, it has. It has. When I when I got here, um, we were wall to wall 419, um, and as the city, uh, as, as Drew mentioned earlier, you know, we are right in the middle of the city. Um, the city has actually really grown around our ballpark in the few short years that it's been here. Um, I would say I, I actually haven't had a single season since I've been here that my shade patterns stayed the same as they were the year before. Um, and so we actually made the decision Gosh, I guess it's probably been in the last three or four years. Um, We did a renovation to our infield and foul territory um, to adjust some grades from construction. Um, And when we did that, uh, we had done some trials in my first year here with a couple of different grasses um, in our shade areas so predominantly right field um, we have we're actually kind of getting ready to get into that season where we'll go into shade and right field um, parts of right field and, and that that part of the field will not see sunlight again basically until last week of January first week of February so long story short to answer your question um, our outfield for the most part is still the original 419. Um, but when we did our, uh, renovation to our infield and skirts and back arc of the infield, we actually put in latitude, uh, latitude 36. And then we carried that, um, we actually carried the latitude all the way down our right field line, like two, two passes, two big roll passes down our right field line, cut that off at a 45 and then ran it. Um, from right field out to right center field, two passes, which if you looked at it and you looked at our stadium, it basically where our latitude is, it follows the roof line of our stadium. Um, And we've had great success with that um, coupled with, you know, our management practices and and what we do in those areas. Um, But You know, uh, a lot of a lot of good turf managers lose good grass, and uh, we lost some grass in right field a couple years ago. And and up until that year, it had been sod. Right field had been sodded every year uh, because we kept losing grass, and we were losing four nineteen. And so, at that point, we just made the decision: let's just go ahead and make a change. And so, it's a hodgepodge, but uh, latitude latitude thirty six and four nineteen.
0: Hey, hodgepodge are sometimes the best thing for you, you know, um, yeah. you sort of t- touched on it again when I, sorry, interrupted with San Diego, but even in the microclimates, again, sort of in the big lane, like, you're talking about bigger regions, even on your field, being able to understand that. I think that's awesome. And have you been able to sort of incorporate that at all to anything else that you've done? Uh, whether there's maybe some drainage issues or maybe there's other things that you've come sort of into, again, you were saying a shade issue, that you've seen in your time there um, that maybe you still are dealing with now that you want to make a change, that you think what would be the best approach for that?
1: Yeah, I mean, we deal, we deal with it on a daily basis. Um, you know, I, I alluded to the shade issues that we have, um, especially down our right field line. <clears throat> the conversion to latitude on the infield and back arc and sidelines was really just – you know that was that was actually done as a short term um, kind of trial to see to see how that grass performed. Um, you know, I, I I'm a huge fan of latitude from a baseball perspective, especially a situation where you get um, higher play. Uh, the recover recoverability of it that we've seen has been outstanding. But to get back to your microclimate, you know the way that left field performs is so much different than the way right field performs in this ballpark. The way that certain parts of the field perform certain times of the year is so much different. Um, we just had a building completed last year. It was being built all through COVID. It is right behind home plate of our ballpark. And I'm looking at it right now. It's about 30 stories. Um, we, we had no idea what the effect of that building was going to have. Uh, we knew we were going to have some shade issues with it, which we obviously did, but what we didn't think was going to happen was that we would develop the reflection off the building at certain times of the day in the summer that would actually generate um, I, I I really don't know but know what it is, but in that area where we get the reflection, um, we actually see the formation of hotspots a lot quicker than we ever have before. Um, I don't think that it's something that you could walk outside and necessarily feel that we could feel, but it definitely has, it definitely has an effect. Um, and you know, like I said, I mean, it's changed every single year. And so for the first time since I've been here, we actually do not have a building being built adjacent to our property. It's probably because there's no land left, but, um, so hopefully next year will be a little a little bit more you know comparable to what we experienced this year.
0: Thanks Charlotte for all the uh pop-ups. We appreciate it. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, with everything uh we I actually had reached out when the ACC tournament was going on uh at your facility. Uh is this the first time it happened there? It is the first time that
1: it's happened in this ballpark. Okay. Um, I think far before my time, I think when when the Knights played down in Fort Mill, South Carolina, um, at the castle, I think that they hosted the ACC tournament, but that's been, I mean, that's been a long time ago.
0: Wow. Um, With everything that goes into a tournament, a lot of people don't understand, again, the level of traffic that comes in having over 10 teams playing on it, having over uh, practices, all the things that go into a collegiate level versus minor league level. And minor leagues have plenty of practice and everything that goes into it. But at the same time, it's not the volume, you know, what was that sort of experience like? Uh, and during that week uh, for you and your crew and how did you come out of that when it came to like, again, the field and how everything was uh, for, again, the next homestand, which I'm sure was right after it, unfortunately, but...
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it was. Um, we came out of it very well, um, I think. I mean, we, you know, full disclosure, it was the first time in my career that I had hosted an event of that magnitude during our season. Um, I think that it ended up being like <clears throat> 15 games in six days or something like that. But the thing that was was tough, right? Like my entire career, I've been conditioned to professional baseball and the way that a day in professional baseball, um, just kind of the flow of the day. Um, you know, that's not to say that we haven't hosted college baseball games here and and so forth and so on, but you develop relationships and a rapport with your, with the managers that we see on a daily basis. So before they even get here, we kind of know what to expect. We kind of know what their MO is, um, how they want to use the field, things like that. Um, the reality of it is, is, I mean, you said it was 10 teams, I guess. So I don't, I have no idea how many teams were here, but I didn't really have a relationship or a rapport with any of them coming into it um, other than I think NC State's played here a couple of times. Carolina played here a couple of times. Duke's played here a couple of times, but for the most part, we just didn't know. Um, and so we were actually slated to host that tournament in 2020. And then obviously with COVID, it didn't happen. And, you know, it didn't mean that we were assured to get it in 2021. Um, But as things started to progress, you kind of saw that it was going to, it was going to come here. Um, And I'm very fortunate to have relationships with a lot of guys, uh, not just in North Carolina, but, you know, throughout the country. And, uh, that tournament had been hosted in Durham for a lot of years and Cameron Brendel in Durham and Scott Strickland in Durham are buddies of mine. And so I had been talking to them for, for over a year, um, just kind of going through different aspects of hosting the tournament and stuff. And um, when it got here, the biggest the biggest thing that, I, <laughs> that they kind of clued me in on is, hey, one, you don't have a whole lot of time. Um, and two, you basically need as many bodies as you can get to get to flip the field to the level that you want to flip it as fast as you can. And I was super fortunate um to have a lot of colleagues from within the industry, both North South Carolina, um, there may have been some from even even farther away than that 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 came in and helped. And you know, some guys were here for two or three days, some guys were here for the whole tournament. Um, but it was just great how everybody came together from a field standpoint. We were we were super happy with the way that it performed. Um, we had very little very little wear after the tournament. Um, we were fortunate that nobody practiced here um, and nobody took batting practice on the field um, until championship Sunday. Um, each team did get to take infield prior to their game leading up to it, uh, but they utilized our batting cages for batting practice, and there were some arrangements with some. I think Charlotte uh, – I don't know what they call themselves now. We, I always call it UNC Charlotte, but it's like Charlotte University now or University of Charlotte, whatever. I think that they had a, they had a relationship, and uh, and a couple of the high schools here uh, had some, some fields that they were able to utilize off-site. So, I mean, that really saved us. Um, our team did come back one day after uh, the ACC tournament, and uh, – we were fine. Uh, next year, next year will be a little bit of a challenge with us hosting it. We we actually have a twelve game homestand going into the ACC tournament, so we'll have a twelve game, a day off, fifteen games in six days, a day off, and then we come back for six. So I think it works out to like thirty three and twenty four or something like that. So
0: God bless you. Jeez. yeah, it's gonna be
1: it's gonna be a tough run,
0: but we'll get, we'll get through it. It was fun. That's, that's what it is about again minor league is a whole different ball game and you guys do a phenomenal job and the work that you guys go through is insane to me and I applaud you for it you know um, you sort of alluded to it earlier with everything uh, you focus on the grass a lot but also a lot of the actual game is played on the clay you mm-hmm. know uh, what is it that you're focusing on again you said during the home stand usually as you're working on the dirt more than you are on the grass. What is it you're focusing on uh, to ensure maybe, again, a perfect ball roll or it's something to do with, again, the runners maybe in the base path along there. What are you focusing on to ensure that, again, getting through something like you just explained, having a 12-game homestand, 15 games in uh, six days and then another six days, what are you doing to sort of, again, have that playing surface playing exactly the same each every time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's what it's all about. I mean – You try to be um, as consistent as you possibly can on your dirt. Um, Obviously, going back to those microclimates and environmental conditions, um, it can make it more challenging at certain times of the year than it can others. I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, we played, you know, September 26th was our last home game, as I said. And that's the latest that I've ever had to have a field prepped. The latest in the year that I've ever had to have a field prepped on a daily basis for professional baseball. And it was shocking to see the difference in how we were maintaining our dirt in the last two weeks of September, even to how we would maintain it to the typical normal end of our season, which would be the last two weeks of August. Um, so, you know, we obviously we're a smaller staff, um, then you may see at the big league level um we're, we're adequately staffed by all means but um we typically start you know dialing dirt work in two two and a half days before the team comes back um honestly when they're when they're on the road we we don't do a whole lot to it just from a from a manpower standpoint um we're, we're not able to do a whole lot to it so We really start trying to dial it in two days out, two and a half days out, like I said, and and most of that is just edge work, moisture management, Um, the addition of any conditioner that we may need, um, fine-tuning around bases, uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, We actually – you brought up a point kind of indirectly, but we actually found that during the ACC tournament, you know, running that many games a day for that many days in a row with such a quick turnaround – you know, our, our dirt maintenance practices became even more important to us then because, um, you know, you set most of your moisture at night when the day's done, because you don't have time to do it during the day. And then you just play catch up and you water, you're on a hose as quick as you can be when that first game ends and you're on the hose as long as you can be going into the next game, just to, to adequately maintain moisture. Um, we ran we ran a lot heavier con- conditioner load for that tournament than we would run for our normal games, and that was just to to help us maintain that base base level moisture in our in our clay. Um, you know, we're we're very fortunate like, from from where I started in my career with some of the infield mixes that were more regionally based mixes. I I, I would say um, we're we're very fortunate now to have the options that we have for infield mixes and it's not so much that guys are using regional mixes as much as everybody's using, not everybody, but I would say 90, 90% of the guys are using the same mix, um, or a very, very, very similar mix. And so you can even lean on each other more in regards to that. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I, I was talking to a colleague of mine out in Salt Lake, uh, this week. And I I don't know that I would necessarily call him to compare notes, but, you know, we, we have tons of teams in, in this area in this region of the country that we talk regularly about what guys are doing, um, things that they're seeing, um, you know, so forth and so on. So, and a lot of it is feedback that you get from, from your user group. Um, I'm not a guy that goes around every day to, all four position players on the interview and says, Hey guys, how was it? You know, it's just kind of opening up a can of worms, but at the AAA level, especially you you have veteran guys, you have guys that understand what you do. You understand what their objective is. And it's a lot more kind of a free conversation, so to speak. I mean, if a guy comes to you and he's got an issue, the reason he's coming to you is that he has an issue. He's not coming to you because he's having a bad day, so to speak, or, but, not, you know, 90% of the time, guys are coming to you to tell you, to give you positive feedback, so to speak. So, um, just consistency. That's the biggest thing. However you get to consistency, just get there. It, as long as it's good, good consistency. Obviously, we don't, we don't want to be bad, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. So,
2: You're Talking about uh, taking all the feedback, and the different things that you mentioned, if there was just one uh, piece of advice you'd talk about for infield skin care, and if I had to answer, I'd probably say something about moisture control, but what would your one piece of advice be, probably the most important thing?
0: Mm,
1: that's a good question. Um, I, I typically don't really do well with the one piece of advice because you can tell I'm probably pretty long winded on some, some of my answers, but I look at it from I, the, the, the whole mantra of what we do is safety, playability and aesthetics. Okay. So however you look at safety, you know, I look at, at traffic, right? And so the reality of the situation is most of the play that takes place on an infield on a given game happens around first base. Okay. So when I look at my infield, the area that I'm the most concerned about is that turning line at first base, where the first baseman holds a runner on, where the runner takes the lead, and how that part of the infield performs. Because the reality of the situation is your, your chance for something to go wrong from a safety standpoint, be it a bad hop, be it a blowout, be it a guy losing traction, it's exponentially higher around that part of the, field, the infield than it is anywhere else. But then I could argue just as quickly um, or just as fervently about edge maintenance because if, if at the back arc of your infield, your edges aren't tied in, if, if you see how the game's gone and where infielders are playing now, they're playing deeper. They're playing, you may have a second baseman playing in shallow right field. Um, they're playing the shift. Well, that guy that's in shallow right field, if a ball hits the back edge of the infield and you don't have a flush edge, you're talking about safety. It could hit him upside the face. It could knock his teeth out. It could go over his head. Um, The reality of the situation is you're going to have an occasional bad hop on a baseball field. I mean, that's just the nature of what we do. I mean, you put guys on a dirt surface on cleats. But if you have one over the course of thousands and thousands and thousands of ground balls a year or two, it's not that you're not doing your job. So it's just mitigating risk. Going back to safety, um, that would be my number one thing. I mean, does moisture play a role in that? Absolutely, it does. Does the amount of conditioner that you run and play a role in that? Absolutely, it does. Does the fact that you rolled or didn't roll your infield play a role? Absolutely. But I can't say that one of those things necessarily outweighs the other when it comes to the overall performance of the of the infield.
2: Yeah, and like you like you said, uh, uniformity and safety go hand in hand. You could almost use them interchangeably.
1: The way that I, the way I tell people, the thing I tell people is if you have a safe field, more than likely it's going to be playable. And if you have a safe and playable field, then more than likely it's going to look good. So if you can accomplish the first thing, you're going to accomplish the second. And if you accomplish that, you're going to check every box.
0: So we need to put that on a t-shirt. That's a, it's a great, great saying, you know, um, but with everything, and I have sort of talked about it a little bit, minor league baseball is a, its its own thing when it comes to, again, sports turf management and the amount of time you guys put into your fields. And again, the homestands versus again, everything that goes into it. Uh, what is it that you've enjoyed about minor league baseball that has kept you in it for so long? Um, and how have you seen uh, it changed again from going from Bowie down to Charlotte, um, with everything that goes into it, you know, cause you're so much more than a turf manager when it comes to again, managing your crew, budgeting everything out. What has it been like for you and sort of what has kept you in it and excited for the next year? You know,
1: I think the thing that I look back on, uh, I think COVID made all of us look back, uh, as, as. Not just sports turf managers, but especially bas- guys who have been in baseball um, for the bulk of their careers. Because I don't think when it ha- when when you're when you're doing it, I don't think that you really comprehend the amount of time that you that you put into it. But then we had COVID, and we didn't have anything going on. And I I, I joke with my wife. I tell her that I, I I feel like I got to live for a year if anything good came out of COVID, I kind of feel like I got to live for a year like the other half lives. you know, like I got to experience things that I, that I haven't experienced in 20 years. Um, I got to spend time with my kids that I had no idea what my wife and kids did, you know, with what is their free time when I was at work until I didn't have to be at work and got to experience. And so, so that was really cool, but looking back on it, you know, it, it has made me look back on it. And I think the one thing that, i uh, you know, I would look back and say that I value the most is the, and it sounds cliched, but it's the relationships that I have developed and their their relationships with uh some players their relationships with a lot of coaches um I mean a former player who uh was was a really good friend of mine introduced me to my wife you know um so you always have those relationships. There's a lot of there's a lot of coaches who I worked with for a long time that aren't in the game anymore, but we still we still talk very regularly. Um, it, but then you have the other side of it is like the relationships with other sports surf managers. Um, I mean, some of my best friends who either are currently still in minor league baseball and a lot who aren't are still some of the best friends that I have, uh, you know, in my life. And, and we still talk very regularly and um, our families vacation together. I mean, you know, so the relationships obviously are, are paramount. Um, you know, from, from the, uh, everything else, you know, it's, What's kept me in it? Probably, you know, it's all I know. I mean, it's all I've ever done. Um, I'd be lying if there, if I said that there weren't times, especially over the last two years that I've, that I've thought about getting out of it. Um, but I'm still here. So my wife tells me all the time, she's like, if you get out, what, what would you do? Like, what would you do? I mean, I think it's a competitive outlet to some degree. Um, I was, I was an athlete growing up. Uh, I wanted to play baseball. Um, it was the only way that I could stay in it. And as, ridic- as ridiculous as it sounds, you know, we have to meet time crunches. We have rain situations where we're center stage, and you're not going to get 30 guys coming out of the dugout to address the problem. It's, you have to be the one that does it, and um, sometimes <laughs> you win, sometimes you lose. So
0: I was the same exact
1: way. I think I answered the first part of your question. I can't No,
0: Absolutely. And I I was exactly the same way. I was a washed up fat baseball player, you know, (laughs) who wanted to to stay in baseball, you know? Um, I remember my first night I used to work for the Mets uh, under Matt Brown. Uh, My first night up there, I was like, I guess I kind of did make it, you know, and it was just sort of surreal moment, you know? Uh, So I totally get what you're saying, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know,
0: that's a good point.
1: I mean, I, I look back at my career and I've worked at every level of, of minor league baseball. Well, I say every level. I've worked at low A, high A, double A, triple A. And I can remember being six or seven years old and my dad taking me to the old Durham Athletic Park and watching the Durham Bulls play. And I was sitting up in the, in the bleachers and watching the grounds grow. And I turned to my dad and I told him that someday I'm going to work for the Durham Bulls. And I did when I was in college. And so, um, you, you know, I, I guess there's something nostalgic about it, but, um, you know, like anything, though, when you do it long enough, it does become a job and it's it's uh, you have good days, you have bad days. But at the end of the day, you're doing it for yourself, but you're also doing it for other people. And that's your wife and kids and, you know. There is, there is some stability to it. I mean, I thought that I was working in the most stable industry in the world until COVID hit. You know, our industry got turned upside down during that, as many did. But I was fortunate to be working for a team that valued what I did. And um, I had a job through all of it. So there's something to be said for that.
2: So I guess from a young age, you really did want to want to do this, which... Isn't the case for a lot of people? They kind of find it in some way and realize they like it. So I guess my question would be, how, what did you do to get to your position now? How'd you get the? How'd you get here? Or not? Not even just where you are now. How did you become a turf yeah, I, manager?
1: Uh, I would say completely by accident. Um, I so growing up as a kid, I always. I played baseball. I played sports the whole time growing up through high school. Um, And then when I went to college, um, you know, I wanted to play baseball in college until I didn't uh, play baseball in college. And so I started working on fields and I was super fortunate. Um, I had a high school baseball coach who spent countless hours working on our baseball field. And there was a player component to maintaining the field, but for some reason I really took a liking to it. And so I would go out there and work on the field, uh, through high school. And, and then when I got to college, I actually, um, worked for four years at the, uh, I, I went to college in the town I grew up in. I went to Appalachian state. Um, and when I was in college, I worked for four years in the County Recreation Department. Um, I had 17 or 19 fields across the county that I lined uh, on, on a daily basis. I, I would drag them. I would work on mounds. and I was a field supervisor. I was a flag football official. I did all those things. And when I went to Appalachian, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I thought that it would probably be important to get – I wanted to know, like, how the business world worked. So I got a business degree. And – did an internship one summer uh, with the North Carolina Sports Development Office, and I sat in a cubicle, but I also got to work on the 99 U.S. Open, uh, 99 Special Olympics World Games that were in Raleigh, um, so some really cool events. So that, I decided that I liked being around the events, but I could not stand sitting in an office cubicle. And uh, so I, I, as soon as I got done at Appalachian, I went to NC State and enrolled in their two-year turf program completely anticipating that I would go into the golf business uh, because I love to play golf as well. And, um, I saw, I, I saw a job posting on a job board, um, in our, in our, uh, outside of my academic advisors office, or my, my advisor's office for a baseball job. And I just, I, I still remember standing there and looking at it and, and I thought to myself, I enjoy playing golf so much that if I go into the golf business, I'll probably never play golf. And so I said, I like baseball and I can't play baseball anymore. Let's give this a whirl. And I've been doing it ever since. So
0: That's an awesome story. You know, with everything that goes goes into someone's story, I love hearing it because there's so many different things that could have happened, you know? Um, Oh, yeah. And where you end up is kind of like the journey is just really cool to reflect on, you know? So it's, it's great to hear. Um, And I think that the past COVID year definitely reaffirmed the, uh, the cubicle thing. I have not, not enjoyed. I've enjoyed being out of this this past year, but like the year before I wanted to, Oh man.
1: yeah. I I was super fortunate. I was able to continue. I was one of four people that was able to continue to come to work every day while everybody else had to, had to work from home and try to come up with something to do with their time. But I don't know what I would have done if I, if I sat at home. So.
2: I I hear you. I'm going to ask the question that we're all wondering, do you still play golf?
1: I do. I played golf. Uh, I don't play a whole lot, but I I played, uh, I actually played on Monday. We had, we have a charity uh, here that's run by the run by the Charlotte Knights and we had our uh, charity golf tournament on Monday. We had, hadn't been able to do it for two years. And uh, I was fortunate enough to have a, have a playing partner in, in one of my vendors. So uh, I, I don't get to play as much as I, as I used to, but I, still do, I, I do still play. So.
0: I play sometimes, but I don't think it counts as playing because of the amount of balls that I lose. So uh, other than that, you know, it's, it's fun to get out there. <laughs> Um, something that I always like to touch base on because there are so many new different things coming out when it comes to technology, you know, whether it's moisture meters that again, like SPIO with the, in the field moisture readings and whatnot, and understanding how, again, we have come to the point where we can run our irrigation from our phones. If your, your facility has that system put in, um, what have you seen, uh, that you would like to implement and what are some things that you've been able to implement in Charlotte, uh, when it comes to new technology, whether it's machinery, uh, or, uh, meters, whatever it is, uh, what has it been like for you and what, you, is there anything you hope to add?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, you touched on the, on the moisture meters. Um, we, we've definitely looked at some of those, um, I think that's probably the next road that we're going down. Um, We've had a couple companies out here and, um, you know, of course, you know, not that we're rubbing nickels, but it it was hard to justify some of those, some of those, I mean, a moisture meter really wasn't hard to justify if, if, you know, during the COVID time, but um, I, I, I tell people that during last season, during COVID, thankfully I was able to, I guess people could call me a pack rat, or I don't know what in my shop, but I made it through the whole year of COVID. And spent, turned in one invoice for hundred thirty seven dollars, and I think that was for a diaphragm rebuild kit for my sprayer. So um, I wasn't going in asking for a lot of money when we were when we were, you know, had had part time employees who weren't able to come to work and stuff like that. But
0: it's, it's nice now where you can say, hey, remember.
1: Yeah, yeah, only no.
0: this much. That means it comes back on this end. All right, <laughs>
1: right. So, but no, definitely moisture meters. I mean, I I I, I remember when I got my first uh, irrigation controller that I could control from my cell phone. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. Um, instead of having, I mean, I've been around long enough that you had to drive back to the ballpark because you either forgot to turn the irrigation off or you forgot to turn it on. Um, you know, that, that's a huge one. And then just from an equipment standpoint, I mean, we are very fortunate here in Charlotte and the resources that I have, but, um, we did a, basically I'll call it a full, full fleet upgrade, um, three years ago here, but I mean, there was nothing wrong with the equipment that we had to be quite honest with you. Um, it was just a, it was a a deal that was kind of run up. So, um, Yeah, I mean, I look at what we're getting ready to do here now. I mean, the advent of LED lights. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't necessarily affect my job, but it's a huge upgrade for the facility, you know, and it allows us to do different things with our our lights and you know, coordinate them with fireworks and just all about fan experience and stuff like that to, you know. I've kind of, I kind of look at the operation as a whole and, you know, you see ballparks have gone basically cashless, um, completely cashless. People are paying with their phones there. We have kiosks that don't even take credit cards anymore. So it's um, I mean, just the whole world in general is just, it's changed so much from, from even when I got into this business,
0: so I was gonna say even in the last year with everything. When it comes to cashless, like even high schools are starting to do that, where you buy your tickets before you get there. You know, it's just easier. And the real reason is COVID purposes. There's no exchanging of cash, you know, and there's no nope. interaction other than click. You know, put your phone underneath it. Here's your ticket. Um, yep. So yeah, it's it's crazy how i would say i i would say one other thing
1: real quick not to cut you off but that no, this this is not necessarily technologically based I, I wouldn't say but you know i think um we're very fortunate where we where we're located but i think the advent of just like the the availability of on plastic has been huge i mean it, it's it's just huge when you when you need to turn a small repair around real quick and you know, um, we're actually using it for most of our, most of our, uh, our even larger jobs that we're doing. We're, we're putting sod on plastic and just, uh, but we're spoiled. I mean, we have
0: game on grass, man. It's crazy. Uh,
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty I cool. Th-
0: I also find, I find it, uh, cause it's really not that new of a thing. Cause I mean, I think they started like 15 years ago when they started figuring it all out. Um, but, it's crazy how, like you said, it's become such a big part of the industry, you know. Uh, you got NFL teams who are swapping it out on like a biweekly basis sometimes, you know, just because of the amount of events and everything they're doing. Um, it's just become such a consistent uh, practice, you know. It's just normal now. Yep. Uh, one, one of my former bosses is down there now, uh, Chris Acton. He's working with Chad. Yeah, uh, over so, yeah,
1: here on the green. Yeah. Yep. They're, they're right down the road from us.
0: I was going to say they're probably 20 minutes out of the city, right? Something like yeah, that.
1: Yeah, they actually, they actually did a project for us here uh,
0: two weeks ago. So Nice, league. nice. Uh, yeah. yeah, Chris is the best. Love that guy. Um, with everything in your tenure, uh, you actually have been awarded the Best Minor League Baseball Groundskeeper in the league for three straight seasons, uh, which speaks volumes to your work and the effort that goes into everything that you do. Um, can you sort of discuss... Uh, what it's been like to sort of been a part of the STMA and what that's had on your career, especially coming from a educational background. That's not specifically in turf grass, um, which I'm sorry if it is. And I just completely missed that.
1: I mean, Um, I have a two year turf degree from it. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. 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 Um, Sort of what has that meant to you and how has that sort of uh, been in effect with work and everything?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's too far. I mean, the, the STMA piece, um, STMA plays a huge, huge role in our industry and they're great advocates for our industry in general. And when I say that the, the sports turf industry, um, and then they also, I mean, they, they formed a partnership with us in minor league baseball. That's been pretty cool over the past couple of years. And, um, just a great group of people, uh, great opportunities out there for for uh, students coming out of college um, through some of the scholarship programs and um, the SAFE program and stuff like that. So, uh, proud to be a member of STMA, have been a member for my entire career, I believe. Um, excited to get back to a conference this year um, with them and i uh, proud of the support that they've given to Meyer league baseball and the awards program that they, that they've done and in the past and speaking to the awards there, they are what they are. It's, it's a, uh, it's a great honor. Um, it's a testament to my staff. Obviously it's a testament to my, to my management um, for, for their support. It's more of an organizational thing than a personal thing. That's how I look at it. Um, it's not why it's not why I got into this. It's not why I do it, but it's it's a really nice nice gesture and it uh it's pretty cool.
0: So absolutely. And it does speak to the whole crew, but the crew does have its leader, so it is a testament to you as a sports turf manager. So congratulations and that's awesome. Um we asked these two questions at the end of you, all, uh, both of our shows. All of our shows. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long week. We'll just say that. Um, with your career, and again, with everything that goes into what it is to be a sports turf manager in the minor leagues, if there was something that you could tell yourself when you first started, and it's not to make like life easier or anything like that, but you wish you knew, what would that one thing be and why?
1: Um, gosh, that's, that's a tough one. There are a lot of things I'd probably tell myself. Um, I mean, I, I, if you had told me when I got into it, I don't even think when I got into it, I don't even think like the first couple of years of my career, I really knew, um, where this industry could take me, um, from a quality of life, um, through the ups and downs, uh, all those things, but I feel like my career really took off when I started forging relationships with other people who were going through the same things that I was. When I wasn't scared to ask questions, and when um, when I just started looking at the bigger picture as to, okay, you've you've done this for a while. Like, hey, are you going to continue to do it? And if not, what are you going to do? And uh, I, I think that's the biggest thing is just networking as much as you can, surrounding yourself with good people, surrounding yourself. When I say good people, just the people that you work with on a daily basis, be it your crew guys, be it the people that you report to, um, be it the, the people that you work with in the front office um, and then your colleagues. I think the other thing that I would tell myself is if I had to go back and look at it, I mean, I can remember early in my career, I think, I think that we've kind of all gotten ourselves into this, this situation and it's a detriment actually to our industry is I didn't prioritize my own time. I took – you know, I, I was the guy that thought that I had to be at the ballpark, you know, every single day from March to September. Um, granted my staff was smaller. I was a young person. I was trying to make a name for myself in the industry, but looking back on that, I, I don't know that it really got me anywhere. Um, and I think that i missed out on a lot of stuff. Um, having, having two young kids, uh, Like I said, it took me until COVID to realize what I was missing. And if there was one blessing that came out of it, it's that I operated much differently this year than I have in any year leading up to my career when it came to, um, you know, putting the rake down and going home. So it's amazing what you learn the older you get in life. but take your job seriously, but don't take it. Don't take yourself too seriously. I guess that would be, that would be my advice.
2: Oh, so a similar question as we're finishing up here is what would you want to tell, uh, maybe the future turf managers, like students, like people like me who want to be in the industry eventually?
1: Uh, I would tell you, um, that this is a great industry to be involved in. Um, it's especially, you know, I'm super excited right now, especially in minor league baseball. Um, there are a lot of changes taking place. There are a lot of people who have been in the industry for a real long time who are really advocating for the younger generation to migrate back to uh, the baseball side of sports starts management. Um, I would say set your goals high. But while your goals are high, be realistic about where the industry can take you, even if you don't reach your goals. You know, I, I think a lot of people get into this business and I, I hope that this doesn't come off the wrong way at all. But I think a lot of people get into this business and they have, they have dreams of, of, of being league groundskeepers. And our sports turf managers. And that is a great, that is a great goal to have. That is a fantastic dream to have, but there, there are 30 teams. And I think that there's a testament. I think that I'm a testament to, and, and a lot of my colleagues who have been doing this um, for years that you can, you can forge a very good life for yourself. You can be, if you set yourself up in the right situation, you can be very well compensated um working in minor league baseball. Um, the experiences that I've gotten working in minor league baseball, I would have never gotten had I worked in any other industry. Um, in buoy, I was director of field and facility operations. I, I oversaw the entire stadium when I was in buoy. I learned HVAC systems. I learned fire systems. I learned um, just – elevator contracts. I mean, I I learned things that I never in my life would have dreamed that I would have learned. And I utilize those things in my daily operation to this day. And seeing how those systems work helped me understand how the dynamics of a piece of of equipment that I have to work on and the thought process that goes into maintaining it and fixing it and all of those things. And uh, so that would be, that would be my advice is, you know, jump in, you know, dive in headfirst. Um, it's a great life. It's, it's a great industry. Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to be what you make it to be for yourself. So,
0: well, we need we,
1: can- we need, we need people, we need young, we need young people to come into this industry more than we have ever needed it. And um, there are a lot of guys that are working really hard to, to set the the next generation up for success. So,
0: well, we can't thank you enough. We're trying our part here at Brentsville with that. Um, but we can't thank you enough for taking the time. Um, and it's been such a fantastic time. There's so many things that you said that I was like, yes, that's exactly what we want the kids to hear, you know? Um, so we can, you guys are fighting,
1: you, the, you guys are fighting the good fight for us. And, um, people in the industry have taken notice of what you guys are doing. And, uh, it's it's awesome if I can ever do anything to help you all out send send people my way
0: so thank you. we appreciate that we'll definitely we'll definitely let our kids know all right.